0: There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than
2: I can remember.
0: Sorry. I didn't mean to intrude. It's been two days. Your son's not back yet? Who was that? On the video. A good man. Like you.
1: Welcome everyone to the 602 Club uh, Trek FM's general geek show. I'm so excited to be back and it's great to be here with you and uh, I am glad to be back with the apes Uh, and I am very excited to welcome back to talk some Planet of the Apes with me, Brandon Chimitola. How's it going, Brandon?
2: I'm doing pretty darn good and I'm happy to be here to talk more of one of my favorite franchises.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Um, Before we get started, uh, Brandon, you were telling me that um, I've been in and out. I had a lot of things going on uh, the past couple weeks. I was on vacation and then I had a funeral to be at for uh, my brother-in-law. So um, it's been a very busy few weeks and I have not, I've not been able to keep up with things. Uh, But you were telling me that somebody came up with something to call Ape Fans there on Facebook.
2: Yeah, so we got a, at Trek FM here, we got a, a direct message or a private message, whatever you call it on Facebook from Lori Damon Bose. I hope I'm saying that right. B O E S E, Bose. And uh, this person said, What do you call fans of Planet of the Apes movies? Because we didn't know. We were trying to figure this out last time. We're like, What is the name of them? And this person said, Obviously, you call them Apostles.
1: I I like that apostles, <laughs> apostles. That's awesome. Yes, uh, well for done, me. Facebook. Well done. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I, I, thanks, Lori. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I really love that. If you want to connect with us, if you have ideas for things like that, when you hear us talking on on the Six O Two Club or any of the shows. Uh, hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. We've also got our listeners only discussion group, the Babel conference, and you can find that by typing Babel into the Facebook search field. Or if you're on our website at trek.fm, you can hit discussion on any of the menu bars. It'll bring you over there and you can talk with all the other listeners of the network about all the different shows. Of course, uh, you can also find us on Twitter at trek.fm and, Great places to check us out. And um, and uh, while you're at it, uh, hit us up on iTunes uh, over there, at Apple Podcasts, with a star rating and review. Uh, that really helps people find the show and really appreciate everyone who's already done that for us. And, um, yeah, haven't had any in a while, so give us your review and we'll read it out on the show. Um, so, I'm, gosh, I'm trying not to be scatterbrained. <laughs> so, I thought best place to start braining would be at the beginning uh, because this movie takes place ten years later mm-hmm. from the last one we saw, and the beginning of the film opens up with the credit montage of basically the globe, and it 's kind of showing you how the virus is spreading and mm-hmm. the decay and all of this and uh, I wanted to ask you how you thought that worked is kind of opening this film and kind of setting us back up, especially maybe you know maybe somebody had never seen. Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, how, do you, how do you feel like this worked?
2: I think that you could have gone into this movie blind and not had to have seen Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I think it was a great way to open the film and recap what happened in the previous film for what you need going into this. Because throughout the rest of the movie, all the other plot elements that you need from the first film are given to you like breadcrumbs throughout this movie. So everything else that you need about the Simeon flu and how it finished is given right in those opening credits and i think it's great it sets it up and says this is why the apes are the way they are and this is why there aren't very many people on the planet perfect perfect opening
1: i i think what you said is so perfect in the fact that this is a movie that people you didn't have to see the first one Mm -hmm. and how many franchises right now out there can you say that about star trek two that's (laughs) I, i think that's maybe one of the few of course You also, I think, uh, you know, Star Trek, it helps to have seen some Star Trek, Mm -hmm. uh, you know. uh, So it's very interesting to me the way, you know, we talked about in the first review the idea of franchises, how they created the first one. And I really think that the sequel does such a good job of, like you said, if you've never seen the first one, it completely sets you up for everything you need to know about what happened in the first one, while at the same time, uh, just setting the stage for what's about to come. And I think that's really pretty aw- awesome. The only thing I'll, I'll ding it on there uh, is that they do use a couple of 21st century politicians.
2: Yeah, like Obama's and in I th- there.
1: I think, yeah, I think that that is a mistake, uh, not because of the politicians at all. This isn't a political thing. It's just that it dates the film. So uh, I, I feel as though it would have been better served to maybe find people who are similar to those political characters that we have in our world today, mm-hmm. but not specifically. Do you know have Obama and and uh, De Blasio uh, in? The uh, or it's not the Blasio, it's it's uh, their mayor previous, it's Bloomberg, uh, in New York. Uh,
2: and so, yeah, the only one I recognize was Obama because I'm from Canada, <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: so it, it, I just feel like it would have probably better served the movie in the long run. It's not a huge deal, it just is something that will kind of date the film, um, and uh, in, the, in the end, uh, whereas you know, you think about the original Planet of the Apes. I don't. Were there any specific dates in there about when they had left?
2: Yeah, they had. I think they had said in there what year it was. It was like okay, nineteen seventy three or something like that. And and I might okay. be getting the I might be getting that year from Escape from the Planet of the Apes. But um, they, I'm pretty sure they had said what year it was when they left because okay. they're like it's this many years later that okay. they were asleep.
1: Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I mean. I mean, that's fine. You know, I mean, you could do that. It just, it seemed to me, um, this is something that you, you could have, they made that minor tweak and it would have been too bad. Um, But obviously too, I mean, throughout the movie they use iPads and, uh, you know, when the power comes back. Oh, spoiler alert. Uh, and everything. So I it it was just something that I, I was thinking about. And I'm, I actually, uh, I was on vacation and, and I was um, watching the film with Nick Anastasio and he actually said the, same thing um as we're talking here it's like ooh that kind of that kind of dates the movie um but I think it really does absolutely work so well to to open the film and and kind of just set the stage for the fact that you know in the 10 years that have passed I mean this the the world has absolutely just utterly fallen apart and has basically gone through... Another Dark Ages.
2: Yeah, it has, and I mean, like the apes don't even know if there's still people. Like in the opening scene, they say we haven't seen them in two winters, and you know the, the it sets well, you up ten winters. Or yeah, it's, well, no, ten winters have happened, but they hadn't seen them in two winters. They hadn't seen right. any sign of humans in two winters. But um, it it does set it up, and it it I guess it kind of does date it with the politicians. Cause I noticed that too, when I was watching and I'm like, Oh, Hey, it's Obama. He's not president anymore. <laughs> right. But, uh, um, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't bother me too much, but, uh, I, I, I think it's interesting that they did a whole 10 years. Like it doesn't have to be 10 years and, you know, rewatching this film, the way that the city was degraded made me think a lot of, I am legend while I was watching this, just the way that the cities were like, you know, um, overrun with vegetation and whatnot. I don't know. I don't know. That's just what I was thinking while I was watching it. But uh, I don't know that it had to be 10 years later. Um, So I don't know what's coming up in the next one. Like, it could have been five. It could have been four. I mean, it could have been, you know, who knows, right? Because these people would have died relatively quickly. Right.
1: I, I think they did 10 years because, honestly, that is a good way to have a city kind of begin to look like that you know, where it really has degraded, where vegetation has taken over. Uh, Now, I will say, very funny, uh, watching this film, I had spent uh, a few days at that point in Northern California, in San Francisco, uh, and San Francisco and Northern California don't look like that.
2: Well, they filmed Um, it in B.C.
1: Right. Uh, In the sense that, it yes, that's my point. I'm getting to, and I'm sorry I'm taking too long. No, (laughs) is that, yeah, it looks like an evergreen rainforest, like uh, far north Pacific Northwest, like uh, Olympic National Park or like in Vancouver, B.C. Uh, And so it does not look like actual northern California, uh, except for in maybe the rainy season. Uh, but yes, this, uh, is a stretch of the imagination, um, uh, for it to look specifically like this. Um, it looks beautiful. I mean, it's, it's just absolutely gorgeous, but that's not spe- really what Northern California looks like.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. And that happens a lot in movies. I mean, you yeah. know, like X-Files was filmed up in Vancouver for how many years and it, you know, Vancouver has been called Hollywood North cause it's substituted for any location right mm-hmm. so
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah absolutely well and of course these days uh you know atlanta has become the place to film uh, and it, so and in fact it's it's almost as big uh, if not bigger i think now than actual hollywood uh with the amount of studios that are there so it's just yeah uh you you it doesn't take away from the movie it was just one of those moments where it was like that's funny. I'm actually in Northern California as I'm watching this movie and that's not what this looks like. Um so but it's 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 a fantastic way to to start the movie nonetheless and I think it just as we said it just really works. And so um I also thought, you know, it, this movie has a, that really interesting theme of the fear of what you don't understand. And that kind of starts right away with both sides um, as, you know, the humans accidentally run into the apes. They're not expecting them to be there because they're on a mission. And one of them shoots one of the apes because it's so freaked out. And I just, I thought that that was a really interesting thing to play with with this movie, especially because it also builds on the fact that all of these apes have had really different experiences with human beings, and so what they understand as human being, uh, from human beings may not be quite the same as somebody like Caesar, and so there's this this real battle that's happening on both sides from humans and apes that really is driving what becomes the conflict in the film, um, and I just I I really liked it. I thought it was really smart.
2: The one thing that I didn't understand upon this second rewatch here that didn't quite work for me was how these people were all like, oh, they're just animals. How can they be talking? They don't talk. Like, it seems to me that after the Simeon flu and what would have happened, people would have seen intelligent and evolved apes. They would have known what happened on the bridge, right? Like that was a big event that happened 10 years ago. It just didn't, I. I it seemed an odd part of the storyline that they're like, oh, they're just monkeys or whatever. They shouldn't be talking to us. What are you talking about? That's not what you saw. You didn't see that.
1: Well, I mean...
2: Especially after 10 years.
1: Right, but I think the thing is is that they've been through 10 years of the dark ages. The internet doesn't exist anymore. I mean, the world is destroyed pretty much as we know it. I mean, you know, people have been dying out left and right. You know, the only people that are left are the people that are immune, have it genetic immunity, uh, and that's why they've survived. Right, And, and so I, I think that that was kind of part of it, is that humanity is it's trying to rebuild itself. Uh, obviously, it doesn't seem like the apes have run into humans in a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. And humans haven't run into them either. They're not even expecting them to be there. And so w- it, it almost feels like what happened 10 years ago has just become the legend of how everything started. Than necessarily the belief that, you know, oh, intelligent apes, you know? Yeah. Uh especially after what happened in San Francisco, uh, and that the spreading of the disease seems to happen very rapidly. Uh it, it kind of makes sense that it's it's more like old wives' tales, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh and so when they run into talking apes, it really is a huge shock.
2: Yeah. I don't know, it just seemed odd to me. I understand what you're saying, for sure, like with no internet and stuff, but the impression that I got for the time frame in between and how the sickness, like in the recap at the beginning and how the sickness went and how long it took for the sickness to happen and all the news stories that were happening, it seems like they, they, it just seems illogical to me that they wouldn't have realized that these apes were intelligent and... I don't know. you know, Because no, they, I mean, they blamed the company. They knew what it was. They knew it right. was this Alzheimer's medication. So they knew what would have happened. They knew what happened on the bridge. So I don't know. It just seemed a little. It, it doesn't destroy the movie for me. It right. doesn't take anything away. It's just one of the plot points that I don't like. But I also like.
1: think that that has to do with, I mean, how many times have human beings wanted to demean something so that they didn't have to pay attention to it? Once in a while. I mean, we kind of do that a lot, you know. We yeah. we treat something as uh different so that we don't have to deal with it. Uh or we we dehumanize it or 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 we devalue it in a way that allows us to be able to do what we want with it. And and I think that's kind of where some of the humans are coming from in in this movie. Not all of them, but I also do think that that comes down to The idea of, like, um, the uh, character Carter, the one who shoots uh, Ash at the beginning of the film. Right. I mean, he's just a complete a-hole, whole movie. But he also brings up this whole thing about who to blame, right? Like, he even, they have that conversation, and she, you know, um, you get uh, Carrie Russell's character Ellie talking about, we know who to blame. It's us. It's not the apes. And he's like, oh, come on. Really, uh, he wants to blame anybody but humans. And and I mean, I think that was something that it it, that explained to me why they're having such a hard time actually believing these are, you know, intelligent apes because they don't want to. You know, they want to deny that that's the case because it makes it easier to just want to kill them.
2: Right. Which, which that makes sense to me. I mean, you know, I, I believe Carver's point of view when he says, who else is there to blame? I'm going to blame the apes. And he wants to just close his mind off to the answers. We as the viewers and uh, Carrie Russell's character, you know, like they know the truth that it was because of this plague. But I mean, it's like 90% of the Facebook conversations you have where you're like, here's the answer. And they're like, I still don't believe it. Here's the proof. Well, I'm going to pick what I want to believe, right? They're going to disregard yeah. the evidence in front of them and believe what they want to believe.
1: Right. Well, and I mean... In the end, too, I mean, it's easier, easier than taking responsibility is just, or quote unquote, easier than taking responsibility is creating a scapegoat, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and it, but I also think it's a scary thing because it, for humanity here, as we're looking at what's happened, are they, are we going to learn from our mistakes or are we just going to continue to keep making the same mistakes? As, we try, as these people try to, to reclaim what they've lost, are they going to continue just to, to go down a path that led to their destruction in the first place? And I think that's really the saddest part of the movie here is because, because they're not actively dealing with the reality of what happened, they're not handling this situation very well, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's something that, humanity is doomed to do is repeat its mistakes over and over, right? I don't know. That's just, that's just my opinion. But I mean, like, you know, look at all the intolerance that we've got towards our own species right now, out in the world right now. I mean, it's just something that we seem to struggle with is accepting Mm -hmm. differences and things like that. So, yeah, mistakes are going to be repeated over and over and over by humanity forever.
1: Right. (laughs) Right. Well, and I mean, even here, think about it. Like, Ellie is is specifically telling us what happened. Like, what the facts of it are, what the history of it is. And, you know, Carver is denying that history and saying that's not really, that, I mean, that's silly. We, uh, what, are we going to blame ourselves? Uh, and that is the very essence of those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we're getting in humanity. I mean, you you thought this Dark Ages was bad. The next one could be even worse. And In fact, we know from Ape's mythology, it will be a lot worse right. <laughs> for humanity.
2: Right, right. We'll stop learning how to speak. <laughs> It'll be terrible.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, we are going to come to a place where we're going to allow ourselves to basically almost de-evolve because of the choices that we make. And really, you know, those who to blame and and fear of what you don't understand, all of this stuff really combines together. And it just creates this this interesting conundrum because, you know, both sides actually have that who's to blame thing, you know? Uh, Because Koba likes to twist the truth about everything uh because of his experience that he's had with humans and a lot of those apes had that experience you know they didn't have caesar's experience of a loving caring wonderful uh you know almost parent to take care of them you know they they got the torture and the awfulness mm-hmm. uh and so i i think um you know that really does it, it it's just interesting to me that it, it's not something that's just on the human side. I like the way that the movie mirrors the humans and the apes together to show us how, in the end, we're really not all that different.
2: Mm-hmm. Right? They're both we're both animals at heart, I guess. Right? Like people are sometimes like at our basest instinct and our worst instinct. You know, we're animals at heart. You know, I've had conversations with people before. You know about Things like The Walking Dead and stuff and how people are portrayed in those movies of, you know, you get these groups of people, you'll have groups of good and groups of evil. And I've had conversations with people who think, no, people will pull together and I, people will pull together, people will develop community. And I think, no, I think that people in those situations will take advantage of each other. Because if you look at a situation like, you know, um, a fire or a, or a riot or whatever, like people in those situations when authority is gone, they delve to the most animalistic behavior that they possibly can. You know, they do terrible things when riots happen and stuff like this because they're just going with the flow of the animal nature that's all around them. Right? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I think uh, there's a there's an interesting line in the movie as uh, Koba is talking to Caesar's son, Bright Eyes, mm-hmm. and he says... You know, uh, at the beginning, after their hunt that they had, he had to run in with the bear and got really messed, you know, not, to- really, he not really messed up, but he got pretty hurt. Uh, you know, he got really scratched by that bear. And Koba tells him, scars make you strong. Mm-hmm. And I-, I think that's that's very true, but do the scars lead to the right lesson being learned? Do they lead to bitterness or do they lead to
2: wisdom? Depends and on how th- you get the scars.
1: Exactly. But it also depends on your reaction to getting the scars, however you got them, mm-hmm. you know? And and I think it, that whole idea of who to blame and fear of what you don't understand really gets wrapped up in that idea too because humanity has these scars from what it did uh, the apes have these scars from what happened and in a lot of ways the easiest thing for both of them to do is just blame the other mm. instead of the parts where they can take responsibility and the parts that are specifically are the responsibility of the others and can we f- can we realize that maybe killing each other isn't the best course
2: <laughs> yeah it's 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 interesting because like you say the scars make you strong like you said there but it is dependent on how you how you get the scars cuz the way that Koba got his scars is very different from the way that Bright Eye got his scars and Koba they were inflicted on him and and you can't really learn anything from that when it's been inflicted on you where you know Bright Eyes can take it as a learning lesson for how to hunt right and how to protect himself so yeah
1: well and and I mean I don't
2: I don't know if there's nothing you
1: can learn I think you can learn the value of forgiveness, or you can learn the root of bitterness. You know what I'm saying, like, and and Koba is never able to forgive, mm-hmm. whereas somebody like Rocket, who was also an ape that had been used in experiments, mm-hmm. is able to forgive humanity and trust and follow in Caesar. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's something that it it's a big part of the movie. And again, it's not something where it's just on the ape side. It's also on the human side and we see different characters in those different positions. And I think that's, that's a really smart idea uh, because that's also something that, you know, Caesar sees is that we're not that different.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And again, I love the way in which uh, he and Malcolm mirror each other, but then you have like Koba and, carver mirroring each other like you have all these characters ape and human mirroring each other and i think it makes for a really really impactful movie when you see that because Mm. it it's showing two different sides and how if we could just remember that we're not all that different that's where we need to start
2: Right. And then you've also got, you know, Gary Oldman's character of Dreyfus and how he reacts to the apes with him losing his two sons and Carrie Russell's yep. character of Ellie losing her daughter and how she reacts to the apes as well. So even on the you know, human side, you got different people reacting in different ways to their kids being, yeah. you know, lost and families yeah, being lost.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, absolutely. um And I think you you end up with this place where... You know, and and I thought it was pretty beautiful. You know, Malcolm and Caesar can kind of see the bigger picture, but I think it's because what's driving them is so important to where they're both looking for a way to build better lives from their families for the future and find hope. You know, and I think that has given them the ability to stop, think, analyze in a way that other characters aren't and to be willing to extend a hand over the aisle you know to bridge the divide between ape and human mm-hmm. and and i thought that was you know i mean in the world we live in today <laughs> i uh i thought that was pretty fantastic that's a, that's the message we all need to hear you know
2: mm-hmm. the forgiveness the divide the difference right i mean Like as a Canadian, you know, I hear all the time about 9-11 and 9-11 didn't affect us in Canada the way that it did. At least it didn't affect me the way that it does the States. And, you know, I see all this stuff on Facebook all the time where it's like, remember, remember, but there's all these tragedies that happen all over the planet. Why is that the one that gets honored and remembered every year? And as, as a Canadian, I look at that and I don't see what you guys see when that happens. You know, well, and-
1: I, I think I,
2: I think you're speaking specifically to the idea
1: of experience, mm-hmm. you know, and so say what COBA experiences is completely different than what Caesar experiences. And that changes everything, you know, so that attack happens to the U.S., not to Canada. Right. You know, uh, in the same way in which the attacks that have happened in Britain have have had an impact on that culture, or in France, or, I mean, any of the other countries in the world that have experienced big terrorist attacks, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they have their remembrances. Um, also, I think it, it was just, there was, it it, it was a pretty shocking event.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, not oh, just not belittling not, the event. Like, no, no, yeah. uh, abso- absolutely. <laughs>
1: you know. But I mean, you know, I just think it, it's it's one of those things. Like, even if it didn't happen to you in your country, it it was still a wake up call for the for the entire world. Of like, oh wow, this, you know, if you can take down the World Trade Centers of the United mm-hmm. States. What else could happen?
2: Right. I mean, I remember where I was when I heard the news, and I was just like. The world is ending like when this, ha- like, I was in Vancouver at the time visiting yeah. my dad. And when I was watching the news, I'm like, This is it, the world's done. Like, what I was so scared the day that that happened, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, but I mean, afterwards, it's like, Okay, it's an event that's happened and now it's over. And now, I mean, it doesn't, I mean, now I got to take my shoes off when I go through the airport right. security. Right? Well,
1: and you also have to remember too, uh, that for. Americans and America—the way our country was founded and created—it, it's always kind of been through the fire, you know, and mm-hmm. and so we remember Independence Day. I mean, so
2: it... it, it I love Will Smith in that movie. That's yeah, such you know,
1: <laughs> but that—I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, that, and that happened—you know, 240 some odd years ago. Now, I think it was 243 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we still remember that. So it's it's definitely a part of the American culture to do that, mm-hmm. but I also think that's a, that's an important thing, right? And and that's something we're kind of talking about here about this whole idea of how we're not that different. Who to blame? Fear of what you don't understand, and the idea of what we talked about with history. Like if you don't remember it, you're you're gonna repeat it, and so we create these idea of remembrances so that we don't forget what happened. Uh, so that we hopefully don't repeat those mistakes again. And humanity, because I think of, especially in this movie with what it's been through, uh, this kind of dark ages, these ape ages that's starting, uh, you know, it's really changing the... It's making it harder for that remembering to happen. And so, and what we're seeing is, is that these people are on the cusp of making... Maybe the same mistake that they did before, you know, Uh, and it wasn't against apes, but it was the way in which, you know, the world has been run where we people go to wars over, you know, things that don't have to go to war over. And that's what was so great about we're not that different. You know, Malcolm and Caesar can see that. It's so hard, though, because. The rest of humanity and the apes are having a hard time seeing that. Mm-hmm. until it's too late, you know? I mean, at the end of the movie, it's too late. As Caesar said, apes have started this war and humans are not going to forgive. Yeah. Uh, and I think that statement is huge because that's also the same thing that happened with Coba. Koba was hurt by humans, and Koba was not going to, and in the end, didn't really want to forgive, mm-hmm. and he used this as an opportunity to to start a war. So, right. I, what I love is that it's like both sides are are again, ultimately responsible for what's going on.
2: See, one of the parts of this movie that I find really interesting is right at the beginning when they are when when Caesar first allows them to go. To make the power, and Koba says to him, he says, "Why are you doing this? If you give them power, they're going to be strong again." And you know, one of the things that's I find interesting, I, like I, I love post-apocalyptic movies, like The Stand and things like this, because I like I like to see how people are going to react after a huge catastrophe. Yeah, and one of the common tropes that I that I like is, and I don't know why I like it, is that humanity is going to screw everything up and destroy it all because we're terrible people, right? And it's it's a thing that you see a lot in science fiction, and this is an example of it as well. Humanity screwed everything up. They made this, they tried to make this cure for something, it turned into something completely different. Everybody's dead, nobody's got power, there's like just a little few people left. So why would you give them the ability to rise up again Why would the apes help them to help them rise up again and become strong again? I kind of agree with Koba's point of view on that, especially in this, you know, this artificial timeline of humanity's destroyed the planet, right?
1: I I think because, and, and this is the interesting thing, is, and something I didn't even... I've been thinking about it, and I didn't really put on the outline, but the whole idea of this, this idea of morality being passed on. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really interesting because Caesar has had the morality that he he has passed on to him from Will from the first movie. And, and he even says, uh, when he is talking to Malcolm, at the old house, Malcolm asks him who was that on the video, and he says it was a good man,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like you. And Ko- Koba doesn't understand that. Right, he doesn't have any idea of morality. What his 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 morality is based on that the the strongest uh, that might makes right, and Caesar admits that later on in the film that for for apes they always choose the the uh i think it was the strongest branch he says yeah and so it's it's very much something that is an important uh in the film because it does bring up this interesting question about like how do we know what the right thing to do is? And, and, and where do we get that from? And, you know, all of that stuff. And, and a big part of that is, you know, from what we learn from the people around us and those who teach us. And, you know, it, it it's it's very interesting to watch Caesar try to pass that on to the other apes. Uh, and and the struggle that he realizes again at the end, we're not that different. Mm-hmm. I I always thought that apes were better than men, but when I realize we're not that different, it it makes me have I need to be a better discerner of character because just because you're an ape doesn't mean you're good, mm-hmm. and just because you're a man doesn't make you bad. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really fascinating. You know, again, when we're talking about messages we need to hear, just because somebody's quote-unquote on our side doesn't make them a good person, you know? Mm. Or, you know, it, 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 how we discern who's good and who's bad and who's right and who's wrong, is there's a lot more nuance to it, uh, and, and therefore, what's the standard that we come to? And, you know, for Caesar, who's good is is what he learned from who Will was. Mm -hmm. But I think what's interesting is that Will was somebody who seemed to be somebody who was pretty sacrificial and willing to uh, do everything he could to save the life of his father, so family, protecting family, uh, and protecting others. And, you know, that's a a pretty decent basis for morality. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I just want to go on a quick tangent here and just say I love James Franco in this movie. And I think he did just as good a job as he did in Alien Covenant in this movie.
1: (laughs) It's funny because uh, it is, it is a. He really makes (laughs) money on films that he's not even in.
2: (laughs) I wonder, like, I wonder if he got it much for this, like using his image and stuff. I wonder how that works.
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that they have to.
2: Because yeah. Alien Covenant, he filmed those deleted scenes. Like there right. was that trailer right. that was out. Like he did some filming. But yeah, this, I'm, the... I'm
1: sure. I'm sure that he gets paid something for that. So <laughs> I mean, it's Hollywood. You don't get paid for nothing. And yeah. so,
2: like, I think I need to watch this movie some more because I've only seen it twice. And I, I mean, like, I'm wholeheartedly on the ape side in this. Maybe it's because of my love of the ape movies. But like am I I don't know if I'm messed up or not or what like I don't know what side you're on when you're watching this movie, but I'm like I'm just completely siding with the Apes when I'm watching this movie like I don't know what about you
1: you know i that's a that's an interesting question, and I think i'm not I'm not on anybody's side except for i'm I'm on Malcolm's side and I'm on Caesar's side mm-hmm. you know, I'm on the side of the people who are right in this movie, and I think that's what's so interesting is there. There's a clear delineation between those who are right in the movie and those who are wrong in the movie, yeah. Uh, and the people who get it and the people who don't, uh, and it's the people who don't that are going to cause the entire world to explode again. You know, they're they're just making it worse. Uh, and there are these two people who still are holding on to ideals beyond just survival of the fittest. You know, I mean, mm. it, that's where we, and that isn't a really interesting thing because this desperation that's happening even with a character like Gary Oldman uh, and of course uh, you've got um, Koba on the other side, they allow that desperation to bring out the worst and the basis of instincts, which is again, just survival of the fittest.
2: Right. But there's a big difference I think with Koba and with Gary Oldman. See Gary Oldman, I like Koba was great. Okay. So let's see if I can put this into a, cohesive thought process here. Koba was fantastic, like a wonderful character portrayed well, acted well, special effects looked awesome. But in the end, he's just turned into this angry villain. And Gary Oldman's character is reacting because he doesn't quite understand what's going on. So, you know, they just want to create this power. They don't know what's going on. The apes come and threaten them, right? They say, don't come to our area. Um, And then all of a sudden, yeah, he's working on these, these weapons and stuff, and he's building up this stockpile of weapons. But, you know, according to him, then he doesn't understand what's going on when all of a sudden they're attacked by all these apes and he's just protecting his home. So when Koba at the end, he's just like, he's turned into one of those maniacal villains where he's imprisoning his own people because they won't follow him. He's killing people left and right because they won't follow him. They're completely different levels of characters, I think, you know, like...
1: No, I I mean I I see what you're saying, but at the same time, Gary Oldman's character is not that far from being Koba. Mm-hmm. I don't think. I think I think that he would rather wipe out the apes. And in the I, end, yeah, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But in the end, that's exactly who he is. He's the same exact character because he's going to bring down the tower to try and kill all the apes instead of Allowing them the time Caesar the time to try and make things right. And they've already called the army in, too. So but
2: that's just it. They don't they don't
1: know right. I, that I understand going what you're there. saying, but what I'm saying is, is that that's his first instinct. His mm-hmm. first reaction is the same reaction that Koba has, which is we just go to war. Because we don't understand what's happening. So we just go to war. Like that's the basest instinct. Instead of trying to be more human and understand really what the situation is and what's going on. We obviously know the situation is much more complicated, right? Than we first knew. Yeah. Like these apes are much smarter, right? Um, everything is not what we thought it was. And yet again, his first reaction is, no, we, we just, we call everybody to war. Um, and I understand obviously Koba makes the decision to attack and, of course, at that point, humanity is trying to defend itself. Um, yeah. So, uh, again, it, it's not as clear-cut. There's a lot of gray in the movie, and I think that's what makes it really fascinating. But there's also a a good way to handle things, and there's a, a bad way. And I don't think Gary Oldman's character actually handles things the right way in the first place. Um, because I feel like... The whole time, i he he has a really itchy itchy trigger finger. He he'd rather just destroy them, mm-hmm. in the same way that Carver would rather just destroy them. He's just a little bit more diplomatic around Malcolm with it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that helps at all, or if it's just. Um, but I think that's uh, what what what's interesting to me in the movie. Is, is this whole discussion that we're having because it's not all just clear-cut, right? And I think that makes for a much more yeah. fascinating movie than just being like, oh, well, these were the good guys and these were the bad guys. You know, like, what it kind of reminded me of is that that idea that we... Have you seen Wonder Woman, Brandon?
2: No. Okay. Um, there's,
1: a, there's a point in Wonder Woman where Steve Trevor says, well, maybe we're all to blame. Maybe maybe it's it's you know, maybe we don't deserve good things, basically. Maybe we don't deserve your protection, Wonder Woman. Maybe we're all we, maybe it's not about who's uh, like every you know, there being good guys and bad guys or one bad guy we punish. And maybe we're all to blame. And I think that this movie is one of those things, like as we've been talking about it, it, it is we all have some culpability in the end in the, at this point, ten years later. Mm-hmm for Everything that's going on, uh, so what did you think? Uh, I, I wanted to ask you, um, before we get too far uh, uh, <laughs> from from being able to actually get it in, uh, we had a couple new characters. I wondered what you thought about Jason Clark as Malcolm, uh, we had Carrie Russell as Ellie, uh, and honestly, I think the other main impactive character is Kirk as Vado, I think is how we use it. Acevedo, excuse me, Uh, and um, as Carver, and I think those are the three main characters that are really super important in the film, uh, that are new. What What did you think about what they did?
2: Uh, I like Jason Clark as an actor. I mean, every time I see him, I've I've enjoyed what he's in. You know, I like I love Terminator Genesis. I think it's a fun movie. Um, I know that you didn't like it too too much, but uh, I love Terminator Genesis. Um, And he was in a show. Brandon,
1: that's an awful movie. (laughs)
2: I, I'm I'm gonna just say that uh, I think that Terminator Genesis was a better new sequel than The Force Awakens was. Um, I also saw. Well,
1: Brandon, you can be found <laughs> at Brandon Matulla on Twitter. So send your hate mail there, folks.
2: Um, I also think that he was great in Brothers Brotherhood. Brothers Brotherhood. It was a TV show that he was on with the guy that's going to be the captain of the Star Trek Discovery. Uh, Jason Isaacs? Jason Isaacs was in it as well. Okay. I think, right. I don't know, unless I'm really, it's really late at night, but I'm pretty sure those were the two stars that were in it. And uh, it was a three-season Showtime show that was really good. It was like their answer to The Sopranos but with Irish people instead of Italians. So, but, it, but he was in that. It was good. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I've liked him, everything that he's been in. It. I think it's great. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I thought that he was wonderful in this movie. You know, I, I felt like him kind of being the forefront of the human characters and uh, being this person who seems to be very thoughtful about what he's doing. He's, he's, he's a good, constructive, critical thinker. You know, he's willing to assess a situation fully before making a decision, which I think is what makes for a good leader. And, and he he portrayed that perfectly. And so I think he did a great job. Uh, I mean Gary Oldman, man, the guy is good in everything he's in. I mean, what yes. isn't Gary Oldman good in? He should uh, can be it Gary
2: even... Goldman.
1: Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, and uh, you know Carrie Russell is great. Uh, she doesn't have a ton to do in the movie, but I think she's. I mean, she adds weight to that character without her having to have a lot to do. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, her best scene, I think, is when uh, the the baby ape starts crawling on her. That was great. I love that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought she played that really well. And then Carver, I mean, the guy is just such a D-bag the whole time. And just such a jerk. He even says, oh, I'm the a-hole. And I'm watching it with Nick Anastasia, and he's like, yep, yes you are.
2: <laughs> yes. he's He's been good. What was he in? Was he in, uh... He was either in, uh... Oz? I think he was in Oz on HBO. So, and, you know, like, again, they, these are great actors that they've chosen for these roles. Like, Kerry Russell was was good for this role, and Kirk Acevedo, I think, was really good for Carver. But, yeah, he's he's the... He's also that character that's there to drive the plot and cause the problems, right? Right, you know? yes. So that's that's kind of what he's there for.
1: Well, and he does such a good job at it. I mean, like... You really do hate this guy, like right? mm-hmm. he. You really. I mean, and, and by the time that Coba kills him, you you really don't feel bad for him whatsoever, uh, you know, because he has caused such an uproar for humanity. And and you know, I know that Caesar says that you know we started this war, but Carver just shooting an ape for no good reason just because he happened to come upon one is kind of the impetus for everything else that happens you know so again it's not a clear cut thing i don't think of who started what it's just a a continuation of events that just gets away from both sides right yeah. uh, you know and there aren't enough clear heads and it makes sense for what humanity's been through for ten years and what the apes have been through and creating their society for ten years, uh you know you can understand why both would be on edge of trying to protect what they've created or what they've been able to get and uh you know when you get you get the sense of when you know <laughs> jason Clark's Malcolm is talking to uh Ellie about why he. He, he can't go back to where they were because he can't let his son see those things again. I thought that was really strong. You know, the, the, the motivation for the characters really well done. So, um, mm-hmm. what did you think in this movie? Because obviously we talked about the last one, the music effects and in, in the rest of the film. How did, how did you feel? Because Michael Giacchino does the music here. Uh, did you like the score?
2: I did. And I got to say, I didn't realize it was Michael Giacchino. Um I-, I thought it was interesting because it was a pretty subdued score. You know, mm-hmm. it was pretty calm yeah. most of the time and re- and like not relaxing, but like, you know, not atmospheric. I'm not quite sure the word I'm looking for. I mean, it was, but it was very restrained, I felt, which was neat. It was yeah. an interesting yeah. choice. So I, I did enjoy it a lot, and I'm I'm surprised that it's Giacchino, but I liked it a lot, because normally I'm not a big fan of Giacchino, but it didn't really sound like Giacchino to me. I mean, Giacchino to me is that lost sound, which you hear in that... Uh, you hear it a lot, that lost music sound in uh, the Star Trek 2009 movie, you know? You hear quite a bit of it. So this sounded very different to me from a Giacchino score.
1: Yeah, I've always liked uh, him as a composer, uh, and I think he... He did well here. I, I think uh, it actually helped to have kind of a more subdued score. It had some really beautiful melodies in there with the apes, you know, at the beginning, their hunt, um, some of those things. Uh, the swell at the end, you know, of the movie was really beautiful. And I just, I feel like he did a good job. And so uh, the thing that really stuck out to me is, and we talked about uh, here last time we were talking about uh, rise was the fact that the effects there were so good here. I would say they're almost flawless. Most of the time,
2: Uh, the bear attack scene didn't work for me too well right at the beginning, but I would otherwise, yeah, it was pretty darn good. Yeah. I mean, that was the only one that really pulled me out. Right. And it's right at the beginning. So I'm like, Oh man, like this is not looking very good right now, but then it it definitely got better throughout the rest of the movie for sure. Some I, of those scenes, like like Koba, Koba was flawless. Like There was a couple of times where I'm looking at uh, at Caesar and I'm like, he looks a little CG. And his son looked a little CG to me, but I mean, like they looked fantastic. But Koba was ugh, outstanding the whole time, I think.
1: And I, I will absolutely agree with you 100%. The hunting scene at the very beginning is a little sketchy. Uh, CGI-wise. Mm. Uh, it, but it's, it's a hard, it's, scene yeah. Yeah, it hard scene to do. Yeah, uh, It is absolutely a hard scene to do. You have so many apes that are a part of that scene and you have so many uh, elk that you're trying to CGI and you're trying to put all that together and everything, but uh, and there were a couple other scenes where I was like, okay, that's definitely just a bunch of, you know, live action effects and CG effects all put together but there were other scenes where a human being is talking to an ape in the scene and you completely buy that both of them are real in it. You you don't even oh, yeah. think you know you don't even think, oh that's 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 CGI. No, you just think, oh that's a, another character in the movie. Like Weta took digital character creation to a completely new level. In this film. And it was outstanding. And it's exactly what you need. For this movie to make it work. And I give them. All the credit in the world. For what they were able to accomplish. Because honestly. I, I've i seen this movie twice. In the last few days now. And I. Was. Astounded each time. How good. Those digital characters are. It's it's just phenomenal.
2: Were any of the apes real? Like was there any shots at all that use real apes? Because Maurice is another one. Like Maurice mm-hmm. is flawless to me. Now he never yep. spoke, right? So he did no, sign he language does, and stuff.
1: But he only does a couple of times and it's very I mean it's it's not I mean it's just it's very quick. You okay. know, he doesn't he doesn't speak a lot. So
2: so was he entirely CGI? Uh,
1: as far as I know, he is. Holy smokes, I mean, I don't, crazy. I don't think any of the characters are not. So yeah, I just, I'm absolutely, I'm right there with you. Maurice is another character when he's sitting next to, um, Alexander, Malcolm's son, and they're reading. You can't yeah. tell which one is which. Uh, and so it uh, absolutely just fantastic work here. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, th- I can't think of anything else. I mean, we could obviously go on and on about this movie, and I, I love the discussion that we had, Brandon, uh, about the complexity of the film. I mm-hmm. think it's, it's really, really cool. Um, what, did, um, what would you rate this one, do you think? Uh, because well, if- I remember, uh, and this is be interesting, because I remember last time, let's remind everyone, you, you, I think you said, even on the show, uh, and I- if it wasn't, you had mentioned to me after that you didn't remember mm-hmm. really liking this one. So yeah. I'm really interested to see where you come down.
2: First time I saw this movie, I've only seen it twice. I hated this movie the first time I saw it. I hated this movie as much as I hated Into Darkness the first time I saw it. I was livid and I did not want to ever watch this movie again. And the reason why I didn't want to, like, I was pulled out of a couple of things in the movie. And they're minor things. and I'm really upset with myself now. Like... There's two instances of bad language in this movie. Now, I watch a lot of violent stuff. I don't have a problem with bad language. But this is something that I'm struggling as well with the new coming Star Trek series. Is how are they going to portray it on screen? The violence level in this was higher than any previous ape movies. And there's swearing in it. Basically, every previous ape movie has been PG. This one's PG-13. But that it took me out of it. Because the apes movies, to me are family movies and you can take your young kids to it and they're saying a-hole and f and you know things like this and while it doesn't those words don't bother me I can hear them in movies and it doesn't bother me it really took me out to hear them in an ape movie and then especially the scenes like there's like, like the scene when Koba goes back the second time to those two guys testing the guns And he's like playing all clownish and whatnot. And he grabs that machine gun and just blows them away. Like that really bothered me because that's like another level of an apes movie, right? Like that's way beyond anything we've seen in a planet of the apes movie this far. So I walked out of the theater, like this was the worst thing ever, but this time I watched it and I really, really loved it. I really like completely 180 degrees turned my opinion around on this. And I don't know why I've had such a drastic change because again I've only seen it twice, but you know I think I gave the last one four and a half out of five, and I think I got to give this one the same thing, four and a half out of five. Like I think it's a, I think it's a phenomenal movie, and I'm interested to see how I'm going to react when the new Star Trek series comes out because it's going to be different than any Star Trek we've ever seen before.
1: I I absolutely agree. I think that's a really, it's a really. Uh... Anytime you're adding to the franchise you already love, uh, there's a danger in that. So I'm right there with you. Uh, you know, I am going to be very interested to see what Discovery is like. Uh, mm-hmm. And and I would say my excitement level is somewhere, uh, you know, uh, there there's not really excitement. There's not hate. It's just kind of like, well, let's see what you got, you know, and you're really going to have, like you have your work cut out for you you know i'm not going in super excited i'm not going in super like eh. you know it's just like well, let's see what you got uh with this one though i remember liking this movie better than the first mm-hmm. one and then i was con- it was confirmed uh this movie is phenomenal it's just so 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 good uh it it's i would say that this is when it when it comes to what this movie is trying to do and the kind of movie this is, it's almost perfect. Like, there, there's almost nothing wrong with this film. Uh, and so, for me, this is four and a half out of five spilled bottles of Johnny Walker Blue Label, which I couldn't believe those guys were drinking Johnny Walker Blue Label. <laughs> and then it gets just wasted. Oh, man. <laughs> wasted on an ape. Come on, guys. But this is this is a fantastic movie, and, and like you... This leaves me at a place where I'm almost like, oh man, oh please let war be good. Please let war be good. Well,
2: from everything I've heard, it's gonna be great. So yeah, and and movies... and I
1: and I mean I'm hearing the same things too, and so it's just like I, I I really do want it to to continue to you know this series and close it out well, and so really fun getting to walk through this with you, Brandon, and I can't wait talking about uh, War for the Planet of the Apes with you, uh, but um. Yeah, before we go, make sure you check us out all over the places that we mentioned there at the top of the show. really want to thank our associate producers here on the 602 Club. We've got Ken Tripp and Davis Grace. They've been supporting this show through Patreon for a very long time. And Patreon is, is the place that's so important to us here at Trek Event because this is a huge network. We have so many shows coming out. We're already planning our Discovery shows as well. We love doing podcasts for you, but it's an expensive enterprise to put this out. There's just so much going on, and there's no way we can do it on our own. So go over to patreon.com slash trekfm. See how you can be part of our team. We've got amazing perks for you. Brandon runs our our Patreon exclusive group. It's fantastic. Uh, There's so much that we love giving back to you, so make sure that uh, you check it out. Uh, And uh, every little bit helps. So again, that's Patreon. Dot com slash Trek FM Brandon uh, before we get out of here uh, let everybody know where they can find you if they'd like to talk about apes or uh, maybe just how they really disagree with you uh, about the force awakens
2: Terminator Genesis is awesome <laughs> you find me hosting my uh, Terminator Genesis podcast or oh over on the Terminator Genesis Network. Um, you can also find me with three more episodes of Melodic Treks. We're wrapping up Melodic Treks soon. Um, so we have a great interview coming up next, plus a couple of cool episodes. Uh, episode 83, I've got a great interview with uh, a guy who's creating a documentary on how they make soundtrack releases. And then episode 84 is going to be a music all about Star Trek Voyager music, an episode all about Star Trek Voyager music. Um, you can find me on Twitter, at Brandon Uh, You can find me every once in a while on the Facebook group as well, poking my head up. Um, But my other two podcasts, one's here on the network with my buddy Floyd. Uh, It's called Warp 5, and it's all about Star Trek Enterprise. And then over on the Fandom Podcast Network, I have a show called Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast that I host with my friends Tom Caldwell and Chris Haig, And we're going through the Hitchcock films one at a time. And the episode this month is actually going to be another composer interview uh, with... Uh, Chris Bacon who composed all the music for Bates Motel so there's some fun stuff going on over there
1: well you can find me on uh, Twitter at MattRushing02 you can also find me here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Deep Space Nine. Uh, if you want to listen to how wrong Brandon is uh, on the 602 <laughs> Club uh, about uh, Terminator Genisys, uh you can find that on episode 38, Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey Terminator. Uh, you can find me on the Nerd Party Network where I'm talking about Harry Potter, walking through each and every chapter of the book series with Drea Kaufman on Owl Post. You can also find me on Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills talking about Star Wars. We have a blast over there. Uh, we also have a, a very special episode coming out soon uh, about our trip to Lucasfilm uh, and Skywalker Ranch, so make sure you check that out. And I'm doing one more podcast, and that's called Cinema Stories, and that is all about film through the lens of faith so i help you check all those out you can find on any podcatcher or of course on apple podcasts well thank you so much for joining us and y'all come back now you hear
0: get your cannonball Get!